Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Larry Stamm continues his look at the Jewish roots of Christianity, and James Collins remembers ministry friend Jerry Tyson and finds encouragement from the book of Job. We are just eight days away from the Central Florida Prophecy Conference, our next in-person conference. Friday and Saturday, January 28th through the 29th in Lakeland, Florida. Speakers include Bill Federer, Dr. Larry Spargimino, James Collins, Dr. Kenneth Hill, Greg Patton, Dr. Ken Lindau, and Larry Stamm. Registration is open. Visit swrc.com and click on Events at the top of the homepage. The Central Florida Prophecy Conference, January 28th through 29th in Lakeland, Florida. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or visit swrc.com. Also on the events page, you can see all of the online and in-person conferences that are planned for this year. Speakers at future conferences include Derek Gilbert, Kamal Salim, Michael Hoggard, Rob Lindstedt, and Billy Crone, just to name a few. Conferences are currently scheduled for Wichita, Kansas, Washington, D.C., Fort Wayne, Indiana, Tri-Cities, Tennessee, Oklahoma City, Columbus, Ohio, Festus, Missouri, and Las Vegas, Nevada. Check out the complete conference schedule for 2022 at the events section of our website, swrc.com. There is so much great information and encouragement at swrc.com. Not only will you find timely articles about current events and Bible prophecy, archived programs, and a list of all of our upcoming events and conferences, you will also find our resource center with over 900 books, DVDs, and items to encourage and help you make sense of the world around us. swrc.com is where you will find the brand new television series, Jewish Roots of Christianity, hosted by teacher Larry Stamm. Greg Patton's brand new book, Living in Today's World, Larry Spargimino's groundbreaking new book, Needless Death, COVID Corruption Control, the brand new book by James Collins the Twelve. All of these items are available at swrc.com. Additional resources by J.R. Church, Jonathan Kahn, Billy Crone, Tom Horn, and Michael Hoggard are all at swrc.com. Larry Stamm continues presenting Jewish Roots of Christianity here on Watchmen on the Wall. It is also a best-selling book and a brand new television series. This teaching series is important for you and your church. Today, we check back in with Larry Stamm for part five of Jewish Roots of Christianity. Shalom, friends. Larry Stamm here. So glad you are joining us as we continue our study in the Jewish Roots of Christianity. During our last session, we were discussing the fact that Gentiles were saved in the Old Testament. I want to continue now with God's promises for Gentile inclusion when Messiah would arrive. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab a Bible because we're going to open up the Scriptures. As we've said before, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We begin our session today talking about Gentile inclusion and salvation through faith in Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 42, 
In Isaiah 42, verse 6, the Word of God says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. Isaiah 42, 6, friends, is a messianic prophecy, and God is talking about the fact that Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. Reiterated again in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where God says through the prophet, and he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. I think it's worth repeating Isaiah 49, verse 6. Listen. Isaiah 49, verse 6 again says, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant, a reference to the Messiah, the suffering servant we read about in Isaiah 53. He said that it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. So there is a reference to salvation for Jewish people. But there's more. In the second part of verse 6, God speaking through the prophet says, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. You remember when Jesus was giving the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, his marching orders before the resurrected Christ ascended into heaven. Remember his words, he said, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. So we see a prophecy about the fact that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. I want to close our discussion and study on the gospel in the Old Testament by putting it all together and giving you a progression of Old Testament scriptures that point to these principles of the fact that we're sinners, the fact that we need a a Savior, the fact that God has provided salvation in the person and work of Messiah, Jesus. If you've got a pen and paper or pencil and paper and want to write these down, I would encourage you to do so. But I'm going to go through these real quick, and I'm going to give you the Old Testament scripture, the New Testament connection. We'll go through it as we unpack and conclude our study of the gospel in the Old Testament. This is a, a chain of scriptures. As a missionary to my Jewish people in New York, we used to call it trot through the Tanakh, where we could establish and communicate the gospel in the Old Testament to Jewish people who had not yet trusted in Jesus. The first passage is Isaiah 59, verse 2, where the prophet wrote, Your sins shall separate you from your God. Your sins shall separate you from your God. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 communicates even more that no one does good, that all are guilty before God. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Ecclesiastes 7.20 again, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are very familiar with Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where the Word of God states that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the Old Testament clearly 
communicates that all of us are sinners and our sins separate us from God. But there's more. The wages of sin is death. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 4 and 20, the Word of God says in both those verses in Ezekiel 18 that the soul who sins shall die. The soul that sins shall die. Romans 6.23, we are very familiar with, for the wages of sin is death. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, a fascinating scripture talking about the reality that we can't rectify that separation that our sin creates between us and God positionally through our good works. In fact, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, God's speaking through the prophet said these words, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So God, through the prophet Isaiah, communicates that all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Contextually, ancient Israel, there were many times they would go through the religious motions. They would keep the Sabbath. They would offer offerings. They would gather for the feasts of Israel, those holy convocations, those appointed times. And they were going through the motions. First Samuel 16, 7 says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God knew their heart. God called them out at times. And in this passage, we see that all their righteousness was as filthy rags. In other words, it wasn't what they did that mattered. It was their faith. It was their heart condition. And only the Lord can change the condition of the heart. Romans 3, verse 20, once again, I'll read Romans 3, verse 20, where the word of God says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, we're not saved by keeping the law, by doing good works, by being pious, moral, Rather, we are saved by grace through faith. And make no mistake, our works as Christians are important. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. But our good works are, should be a reflection of our love for God and also a reflection of our faith in him. But we are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. I'm now reading in Romans chapter 3 to make the point that we are saved by grace through faith. We are justified by faith. Again, Romans 3, verses 24 through 26, we read, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him who believeth in Jesus. So there's an Old Testament progression of scriptures that talk about the fact we're sinners, the wages of sin is death, the need for a Savior, and then the reality that the only efficacious sacrifice is through the death of Messiah. I'll conclude with Isaiah 53 once again in verse 10, where the Word of God says, these words. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
And then to conclude our study of the gospel in the Old Testament and this section of the trot through the Tanakh, in verse 12, Isaiah 53, the word of God states, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The only satisfactory sacrifice is the death of Messiah. And that, friends, is the good news, that Messiah Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I want to continue now with the beginning of our study on Israel and the church as it pertains to redemptive history. As we begin our time, we need to understand that Messiah comes through the nation of Israel, and through Messiah comes salvation and the entity we know as the Church of Jesus Christ. If you remember, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church. And in this study of Israel and the church, I want to unpack some key covenants affecting Israel and the church, namely the Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and New Covenants. We are going to briefly touch upon each of those because these covenants of God are germane regarding redemptive history. We need to understand Israel is central to the redemptive promises of God to his people. First, let's talk about the Abrahamic covenant. If you would, please turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 as we begin to unpack the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We read, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I want us to notice that in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation and bless all the nations of the world. Notice God's individual, national, and universal promises to Abraham. An individual promise. God promises to bless him and make his name great. A national promise that God will make Abram a great nation, that nation being the nation of Israel. And then finally, a universal promise God makes to Abraham in Genesis 12. God will bless all the families of the earth through the Messiah who comes through the nation of Israel. If you remember, Abraham begat Isaac, you begat Jacob. God gives Jacob a new name, Israel. And Israel, the word literally can mean prince with God, or perhaps it carries this idea of struggling or persisting, a reference to Jacob's struggle with God. If you remember, we note Jacob or Israel had 12 sons, we whom, whom we refer to as the 12 tribes of Israel. A key verse is Genesis 32, verses 22 and 32. 
I'm going to read verse 28, which is key from Genesis 32. The Word of God says in Genesis 32:28 these words, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. So there's a little bit about the Abrahamic covenant. It's a wonderful thing, and it's really foundational as we study redemptive history as it pertains to the covenants of God, Israel, and the church. I want now to talk briefly about the Mosaic covenant. God in Exodus chapters 19 through 24 makes a covenant with the entire nation of Israel. And in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, he actually refers to Israel as his bride. Here are some specifics about the Mosaic Covenant, which, by the way, was a conditional covenant, a very important characteristic regarding the Mosaic Covenant. It is conditional. God says, if you, then I will. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 8, we see God's relationship with Israel and that he would make them a kingdom of priests. If you have a Bible, look at Exodus 19, verses 4 through 8. The word of God says in verse 4, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will keep my voice indeed and keep my covenant, Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So God calls out this people. He makes a covenant with them. Israel, God's chosen people are called to be a kingdom of priests. Notice in verse 4 of Exodus 19, God reminds Israel he is their Savior, the one who snatched them from the oppressors. In verses 5 through 8 of Exodus 19, God promised to make them his special treasure if they entered into his covenant. Note again, if they entered into his covenant, conditional. And then In Exodus 19.6, God declares Israel will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We're very familiar with this idea of a holy nation as we connect the dots between ancient Israel being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, where Peter actually refers to the body of Messiah made up of Jew and Gentile, As we unpack the New Covenant, perhaps in our next study, we'll understand that God now includes Gentiles in that covenant promise, that New Covenant promise from Jeremiah 31, originally given to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. God will include them in this New Covenant promise. And as the house of Messiah, the bride of Messiah or the bride of Christ, otherwise known to us as Christians, as the church, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, to God's people made up of Jew and Gentile, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
we in our next session are going to continue and conclude our study on the Mosaic Covenant. I hope this session, as we've concluded the gospel in the Old Testament and have begun unpacking the covenants as they pertain to Israel and the church and God's redemptive plan for man, hope you've been encouraged as we've begun study on the Abrahamic Covenant and the Mosaic Covenant. In our next session, we're going to continue and conclude our study on the Mosaic Covenant and begin our study on the Davidic and New Covenants. And until next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Get the complete 16-part teaching series, Jewish Roots of Christianity, on CD by calling 1-800-652-1144. Friend of the ministry, Jerry Tyson, recently went to be with the Lord. In addition to being an author, Jerry was heard frequently as a contributor on our Bible in the News reports and was the host of In the Beacon's Light podcast. James Collins comes now to remember Jerry Tyson and finds encouragement from the book of Job. The Bible says in the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I recently lost a friend. His name was Jerry Tyson. Jerry died last month. Many of you that listened to The Watchman on the Wall knew Jerry. He was the host of our Bible in the News segment. Jerry Tyson was a friend of mine for over 20 years. He was influential in bringing me on the staff here at Southwest Radio Ministries. My friend Jerry Tyson was an encourager. Whenever I would talk to him, I would always feel happiness welling up inside of me. When I would see Jerry, I found myself smiling because I knew that he was going to encourage me. We have a way of describing people like my friend Jerry Tyson. We say that they're like a breath of fresh air. Do you know someone like that? Have you ever had a friend like that? I spoke to Jerry on the phone a couple of days before he died. He talked to me about the rapture. He knew that he didn't have long to live, but he hoped that Jesus would return before he died and take him home in the rapture. Either way, he said that he looked forward to being with the Lord. It's funny. I called to encourage Jerry, but like always, he ended up encouraging me. You know, when someone we love dies, we feel the pain of loss. We hurt because we'll miss that loved one. For the past few days, my friend Jerry's been on my heart. I think about his loss. I think about his wife, Jody. I think about the heartache that she's feeling right now. A couple of days ago, I was praying for Jody, and I was reading my Bible. I was reading the book of Job. And do you remember the story of Job? Do you remember Job in the Old Testament? Job knew all about loss. He lost everything. Job was a man who lost everything. He lost his possessions. He lost his children. He even lost his health. He lost everything. But over in the last chapter of the book of Job, we read that the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The Bible says that everything Job lost, God gave him twice as much. He lost this, God gave him that. But he doubled it. Now hang on with me just a moment. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Remember that Job lost his children. 
In the very first chapter of Job, in verse 2, the Bible says, And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Job had seven sons and three daughters, and they were all killed in the first chapter. Now remember what I said, everything that Job lost, God doubled. The Bible says in the 42nd chapter of Job that God doubled Job's sheep, God doubled his oxen, God doubled his camels, God doubled his donkeys. He got as many as he had the first time around, plus that many more. Now don't miss this. Remember that in Job chapter 1, he had seven sons and three daughters. That's ten. Job had ten children. And the Bible says he got double the sheep, double the oxen, double the camels, double the donkeys. But in Job 42.13, the Bible says that God gave him seven sons and three daughters the second time. That's ten. Ten again. Now, why didn't God give him twenty? Why didn't God give him twenty children? God doubled everything else. Why did God only give Job ten kids? Listen to what I'm going to say. Because he already had ten kids who were not dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are some things that you can't lose even when you think you've lost them. Job had 20 kids. He had 10 on this earth, and he had 10 with God in heaven. There are some things that cannot be taken from you. You just think you lost them. That loved one you lost, that loved one is alive. Just like my friend Jerry Tyson is alive. You cannot lose what is eternal. My friend Jerry is alive with Jesus right now in glory. Believers in Jesus Christ who have died are not really gone. They have just moved on to another place. There's an old poem titled, I'm Standing Upon the Seashore by Henry Van Dyke. The poem is a beautiful reminder of this truth. It goes like this. I am standing upon the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails to the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She is an object of beauty and strength. I stand and watch her until at length she hangs like a speck of white cloud just where the sea and sky come to mingle with each other. Then someone at my side says, There, she is gone. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that is all. She is just as large in mast and hull and spar as she was when she left my side. And she is just as able to bear her load of living freight to her destined port. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone at my side says, There, she is gone. There are other eyes watching her coming, and other voices ready to take up the glad shout, Here she comes, and that is dying. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Today in the Resource Center, we have Larry Stamm's book and complete television series, Jewish Roots of Christianity. Get both the book and the 16-episode television series on DVD for a gift of $60 or more when you call one 800 652 1144. Order online swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Friday, 
Greg Patton will share how to receive the blessings of God. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Thank you.